Well, thank you for joining me today on Financially Speaking. My name is Mitch Slater. I'm a Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor with UBS Wealth Management in Westfield, New Jersey. We're along with my partners, Ann and Crystal. We do our best to bring you advice beyond investing and address our clients' most challenging financial needs. It's my sincere hope that each and every episode of this podcast will educate you on personal finance and real-life business issues of the day. So let's jump right in. It's not every day you get to sit down with someone that hangs out with superheroes, baseball teams like my New York Mets, won't get into that too much, musicians like Paul McCartney, Bob Dylan, Kiss, Katy Perry, to name drop a few. And oh yeah, she was a judge on Miss USA this year in Reno. And I know most of you, probably all of you at one point or another, watched her a few years back when she wowed four out of five judges on Shark Tank, pitching an investment in her company, now known as the Superfan Company. And I haven't even scratched the surface so far. Welcome to Financially Speaking, Kim Kalp. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Oh, well, we're really glad you're here. So one of my favorite artists, besides Bruce, and we'll get into that later, Elvis Costello has a great song, Accidents Will Happen. And I know from some of your previous interviews, you like to refer to yourself as an accidental entrepreneur. So before getting named to Forbes 30 under 30, advertising ages uh, 40 under 40, Inc. Magazine's 35 under 35. All the numbers. All the numbers you've hit. You've <laughs> hit. You know, you've, you've just totally... Take us back to Florida where your journey begins. Yeah, I went to school at the University of Florida. Very typical state school. It was like four years of spring break. Mm -hmm. What were you like as a kid? Let's let's start there because I'm always interested in hearing the journey. Some people were out there with lemonade stands, selling baseball cards, doing all kinds of entrepreneurial things as kids. Yeah, that was not me. I always say that there's two types of kids, the ones that sell candy in the back of the bus and the ones that purchase candy in the back of the bus. (laughs) I was the purchaser, not the seller. (laughs) I never had like a lemonade stand. I never had a lawn mowing conglomerate for the neighborhood. (laughs) I never did any real entrepreneurial things ever. I was big into sports. Sports was definitely a great... You played volleyball, volleyball. I think I read. Yeah, Yeah. a great starting Mm -hmm. off point for me. I played competitively for about eight years. Oh, great. Travel and school. And it was a great sort of first learning lesson and step into building a team, exactly. into teamwork, leadership. Mm-hmm. I tell parents all the time that if you do nothing else for your kids, I'm such a believer in sports mm-hmm. because it's those really early learning lessons of I didn't get picked or why didn't I get this? or And that's what happens in the workplace Yeah, there's every no, it's day. pure rejection, whether it's sports, whether somebody's doing theater, whatever it is in school, obviously kids should be active and... and Absolutely. Get, get used to that rejection or whatever's going to come through it. Did you play volleyball at uh, Florida? I decided not to play in college. I really, after eight years of doing it competitively, I went to the Junior Olympics twice. Really very, very much a, a huge part of my life. I just decided I wanted a new chapter and wanted to do something totally different and really have that full college experience that I had seen in the movies mm-hmm. with the football team right. and the, <laughs> you know, sort of Friday Night Lights yep. brought to life mm-hmm. and the University of Florida had that. Yeah. And it was also free. Yeah. 
Very important. Even better. Even better. <laughs> even better. Yeah. As someone who went to school, I went to GW where we didn't even have a football team. It was so exciting for me when my son went to Penn State. Yeah. And I got to experience all of that and my daughter at Maryland. So, uh, yeah, that's it's it's a, good fun. It, it's really great fun. Good really, fun. really a lot. So lots of people talk about taking risks to start a business in their 20s, but few actually jump into the entrepreneurship tank, so to speak. So let's talk about that decision and some of the financial lessons that you had to learn yourself. So you got out of school and your first job? My first job was at Condé Nast. Okay. The big publishing house. They do Vogue and Vanity right. Fair. So you wanted to be in publishing. Yes. So all my internships were in publishing. My first job was in publishing. I did that for about two and a half years before I left and started at an ad agency. And that is where I met my co-founder. I lasted at the ad agency for, I think, 90 days before mm-hmm. <laughs> before I had to leave because I just did not like it right. at all. You knew it. Uh, I knew it. Mm-hmm. and But by that time, I had met my co-founder and decided to try this crazy idea. And I think, you know, the biggest steps for me and something that I am constantly telling people to go through, it doesn't matter if you're 65 or 23 or whatever it is. And I even created a little worksheet about it uh, called worst case scenario Mm -hmm. and just kind of an onion. You just keep peeling back the layers of, okay, if I start this company and I have no paycheck, coming in, you know, worst case scenario. Okay. And just going through all of those steps of worst case scenario, worst case scenario. And then one of two things happens when you finish all of those worst case scenarios, you either look at the different roadblocks Mm -hmm. and then come up with an action plan about how to fix those roadblocks or how to work around those roadblocks, or you decide this might not be a great idea right now. You know, when I look at all of these worst case scenarios, you know, maybe it makes more sense for me to start the business in a year or two years once I pay down some of this debt or, you know, it really kind of helps give you a snapshot. I think a lot of the talk in the entrepreneurial marketplace is like, you have an idea, go for it. Yeah, now go right. crush it. And that's not going to pay your debt off. Right. <laughs> like, Passion of crushing it is not going to keep a roof over your head. So I think it's really important that, you know, yes, you want to go and crush it. You also need to be responsible to so how'd yourself. You, how'd, you, how'd you school yourself on this? Because typically, I know this from being on the Board of Education. I know it from a lot of different things. Financial education is not taught in the schools. Right. In many households, it's easier for parents to talk about sex than it is money. Yeah. So money is typically not something that's discussed a lot. Some families do crush it and, and teach their kids. Mm-hmm. But how did that how did that work for you? I well, think, having to budget all of a sudden. Yeah, I think my parents... In New York City. In New York City, <laughs> no less. I think my parents did a really great thing. It was a little harsh, like being thrown in a cold lake <laughs> at the time, but I think it was really great. I remember it, like the back of my hand, it literally, I had graduation day at UF. It was, I don't know, May 4th. And my parents were coming up on the 3rd. We had a big celebration with a lot of my friends and roommates, you know, walk across the stage on the 4th. And on the 5th, my dad said, just so you know, from today on, like, you're done. As in like your cell phone is done, your car payment, like everything is done. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of, whoa. <laughs> Including insurance or Wake did he cover you till you were 26? 
health insurance. Because that's a big number. Well, you have to remember, I graduated in 08. So oh, the okay. Obamacare hadn't really kicked in yet. Oh, okay. you, you couldn't stay on your parents' right. insurance forever. Probably the worst year to graduate college, yes, by the way. Yes, <laughs> definitely the worst yeah. year to graduate, especially when you want to go into marketing yes. or anything creative. Mm-hmm. They're not really hiring for that no. in a recession. But it was a really great learning lesson and, and sort of kick in the butt, mm-hmm. quite frankly, to look at that expense column. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the debit and credit column right. and say, okay, these need to balance these things out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you need to spend what you have and not more than what you have. And my parents were also very adamant. I didn't get a credit card until I was working at my first job. I know a lot of parents, it's it's black or white. Some parents are in the camp of I want my kid to build up credit. I'm going to put them as a, you know, subsidiary on my Amex when they're 16. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a great learning lesson. My parents were in the opposite camp mm-hmm. of you're not getting a credit card. You're not getting any sort of thing that you can mm-hmm. go crazy with, basically. I'm in that camp, too. And so they said, if you want to get a credit card, you are more than welcome to do that when you are out of college and when you have a job. Right. And they so, give you a credit line that's appropriate to so your income. So I got, yeah, I was 22 mm-hmm. when I got my first credit card, which, you know, some of my friends got it at 16. Mm-hmm. So I think that also helped. Yeah. Well, a I, lot. I, I look who's laughing now. So <laughs> let's talk more about meeting your co-founder and how Zine Pack went from being this cool idea into a business making over, if I'm correct, roughly two and a half million dollars in your first year. That's even before Shark Tank happened. So talk about the, what the fan experience you wanted to deliver was. So when this whole idea started coming about, talk about the whole fan concept. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. You know, we started the business in 2011. It was a really interesting time. I feel like I have to remind people, you know, there was no such thing as Instagram. There was no such thing as Snapchat. Spotify was mm. not here in the U.S. You know, the only streaming platform people had at that time was Pandora. Right. You know, it's a very different world we were living in in 2011. And my co-founder had sparked this idea of really creating more content and more of a a rich experience around music artists and their album releases. And I had come from the publishing industry. That's what we're best at, telling stories and creating events and experiences around different human tales and, mm-hmm. and human experiences. So it was sort of this perfect match of of she was really deep into the music industry. I had a really deep publishing background and bringing those two things together. Right. Um, but I think really what the root of it at the time that we were seeing is, you know, Facebook was really big at that point. Twitter 2011, Twitter was just starting to become something Mm -hmm. that people used, um, but it wasn't super popular. But what we were seeing on Facebook is, you know, and this is a very rudimentary example, but it used to be something that, let's say, Madonna was posting once a month. And then all of a sudden, Madonna was posting once a week. And then all of a sudden, Madonna was posting once a day. Because the adults had not taken over Facebook yet. And so what we're noticing (laughs) is, you know, if you keep feeding these bears, the bears are going to continue to come. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to keep feeding them, you're going to need more, con- you know, more things, more things, more things. And again, this was before all of those other platforms came out. And so what has now happened in the last eight and a half years is with each new platform, it's just a different 
you know, set of bears to right. feed. Right. Because there are different people on TikTok that are on Snapchat, that are on Instagram, that are on LinkedIn, Constantly that changing. are on Facebook, that yeah. are, you know, yeah. the list goes on and on. And so I think regardless of if you're a musician or a sports team or any sort of brand or or industry, you really have to think about how am I giving people more. Right. You got to give them that experience that they're looking for. Exactly. So early success like you had can obviously be really exciting. But when it comes, let's say the non-traditional way, which is definitely, I think, your story, no business plan, for example, yeah. I think I heard you say. No business plan. Um, you guys must have been kind of staggered to see that success. Yeah. I mean, you had confidence <laughs> in yourself, obviously, but. Not really. Not really? Okay. <laughs> no, it was, I, we actually had, a, I had a whole plan in my mind of everything I was going to do once it failed because I was like, well, you know, 98% of startups fail. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have a plan of, okay, after I fail, I'm going to go back to Condé Nast and, you know, maybe they'll take me back or I can work at another job. And like, I, you know, let me reach out to this person. I think like I had all these plans of if it failed and I had zero plans if it was actually successful. So the first year was amazing. And then we really had to almost shut down the business for the first half of the second year because we had no systems. Right, you got to get no, pause. Yeah, it was yeah. like, oh my gosh, we have to clean up our house. Now at this <laughs> our house is a mess. At this point, had you guys landed Walmart? Because I know that was your signature client. Mm -hmm. So how early in, in the development of the business did the Walmart? Day one. Wow, that's yeah. a great way to start. Yeah, it really, it's a great lesson and it's something I constantly tell people. To me, it's an amazing lesson in human connection. You know, one of the things that I'm constantly spewing out in terms of advice to people is when you leave a job, you leave the work, you don't leave the people. Right. So I still talk to people that I worked with at Connie Nast. I still talk to people I worked with at the ad agency because you can leave the job, but you don't leave the people because right. the, those resources and those connections are so very important. And the story of how we got Walmart is really a testament to that. My co-founder worked at a record label for five and a half years. Her job at the record label was to work with retailers, Walmart, Target, Best Buy, et cetera. She left the record business and decided she wanted to go to an ad agency and left, but again, took the contacts with her and, you know, kept in touch, whether it was LinkedIn or Facebook with those people, you know, happy birthday or congratulations on the new baby. Relationships. Or, exactly. It's not about ROI. It's about ROR. Ted Rubin, who was a guest on my show, who's a terrific, terrific guy who I've known for many years. That's what he preaches. He even has a hashtag ROR. But ultimately, at the end of the day, anything in, in my life I know professionally that has been successful has come from developing relationships. A hundred percent. So when we started, when we looked at starting the company, you know, Brittany, my co-founder, was able to call these old contacts and said, hey, if we started this company, you know, is this completely bonkers mm. or would you actually support something like this? And luckily, those people picked up the phone because of that relationship, because of that nurturing. And it blows my mind now when... I talk to young people or the next generation or even people who are in their mid-career and I say, well, can you call the person from your last job or two jobs ago? And they go, oh, I don't, <laughs> I don't know anybody there. Or I, and you're like, Ah, what Same a people that don't have their picture on LinkedIn, probably. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Crazy. I know it is crazy. All right. I know all of you out there listening are like, how could you wait this long, Mitch? When's he <laughs> going to get the Shark Tank? So obviously that experience had to be quite a trip. 
apparently you kind of stumbled on that whole experience too, just filling in your accidental entrepreneur story. <laughs> a lot they, of accidents. They contacted you. Am I correct in that? Yeah, we were on Inc. Magazine's 35 Under 35. Mm-hmm. And it was quite funny because in the magazine, you know, they have the picture and then they had these little bubbles next to the entrepreneur. And right. the bubbles had like name, uh, location, investors, all the stuff. And we were on the year that Travis from Uber was on the cover. Uh-huh. So Travis's bubble was huge. Yeah. You know, it was all these impressive, you know, Mark Cuban invested, mm-hmm. and first Mark Capital and all these big right. things. And so, you know, you went through the magazine, everybody's bubble was really cool. And you got to our bubble and it was like this, it, was, it wasn't even a bubbles. bubble, it was like a dot. <laughs> and it basically just had our name in New York. And then under investors, it just had like, N-A. <laughs> and so one of the producers had seen the magazine and called and said, you know, was this a misprint? Like, did you not get them your investor list on time? And we said, no, we don't have any investors. So our bubble looks sad right. <laughs> compared to these other bubbles. And that's when they were like, well, would you be interested in coming on the show? So yeah, it's a great story. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. an incredible story. So this was 2015 and you guys crushed it and you were offered 750000 roughly for a piece of your company, ultimately yep. by Lori and Robert. Mm-hmm. But many people don't realize that behind the scenes, things may not always be exactly as they seem. And I know that from from working in television and actually working on a game show in the 1980s. But I'd love to hear your take and, and whatever you're allowed to share about what ultimately happened after the cameras went dark. Yeah, Shark Tank is an amazing show. And, you know, I always remind people it it is a reality TV. So when you look at like The Bachelorette or, you know, The Bachelor, how many of those people actually get married? Right. Right. Like mm-hmm. not many. No. They they might have like a whirlwind romance, right. but then it like fizzles out. Exactly. So Shark Tank is that. And they have like, to bring the puppy home. And, yeah. yeah exactly. It's like 90 yeah. day fiance. Right, right. Seems like a good idea. Mm-hmm. 90 days later, you're like, what have I done? <laughs> so is that, you know, you know, with Shark Tank, it's really interesting because most people don't realize when you're walking out for the first time, that really is the first time that they're meeting you. You know, there's no like backstage. Oh, we've chit-chatted before. That really is the first time. And so, you know, I always say it's really hard to say you're going to get married to someone after talking to them for an hour. I think anyone who's been on a first date would totally agree with that fact. So, you know, of course, on the show, when we say, you know, yes, we'll get married after an hour, (laughs) you know, the subsequent dates and Mm -hmm. discussions and all that sort of stuff, we just kind of realized... I think we're better as friends. I think, you know, we shouldn't get married. We should just be like besties. Right. <laughs> and so we decided instead of going through the deal, you know, Robert and Lori are amazing. We actually did some work with them after the show, just separately on their own sort of ventures. But we're not actually in business with them. We're not actually married. Right, right. We're just best friends. Well, but they <laughs> they they threw a nice engagement party for exactly. you, I guess. Exactly, you know, a I guess great you could, party. You could look at it. So... You guys seem very comfortable when you walked out on that stage. Where does that come from? Where does that confidence come from? Oh, my gosh. We prepped for that show. I joke with people all the time. I don't know what war plans are like, but, like, we were ready for World War III. You guys (laughs) were ready. We had extensive research that we had done. We had watched every single episode from every single previous season. We had spreadsheets of statistical, the questions they asked the most. I mean, we That's how the guy won on Jeopardy for six months, by the way. Like, we (laughs) went— next le- like the yeah. matrix right we had the blue pill mm-hmm. like we went deep and so i think that confidence came from 
we knew how prepared we were. I think some people go on the show thinking like, this is going to be fun and yay. And maybe not treating it as seriously as we did. Exactly. We will link to this, obviously, if if for any reason you have not seen this uh, Shark Tank episode, we'll link to it. You you mentioned something in in another interview that I read that only about 11% of the people stay with the sharks. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's the amount of deals that go through. Oh, okay. So it could be that the entrepreneur doesn't want to do the deal. It could be the sharks after kind of getting under the hood of the car, decide mm-hmm. they don't want to buy right. it. It, You know, it's a plethora of reasons, but mm-hmm. yeah. So if I'm listening at home, I'd want to know, okay, so how did you connect with all of these incredible musicians, actors, sports teams? We threw out some some pretty big names and folks, I left off <laughs> a lot of really big names. So I, I kind of have a suspicion that you're going to talk about the power of relationships, which I'm we've been talking about. I'm going to steal that. Yeah. ROR. Go for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a huge thing. And and listen, I, I only know about the entertainment industry. I tell people all the time, if you ask me about, I don't know, the automobile world or the banking world or the culinary world, like, I don't know, because I don't know how those worlds work. And I don't, you know, I always say like, that's not my lake. Mm -hmm. I only know about my little lake and that's the entertainment industry. And the entertainment industry is all about relationships. It's why Madonna's had the same manager for 20 some odd years. It's why the Rolling Stones have had the same team with them for 30 some odd years. You know, it's a very, very heavy relationship-based business as opposed to oh, these bits change and I'm going to go here, go here, go. It, that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. So relationships- The successful ones, the relationships really Relationships last. are huge. Yeah. And and I tell people all the time, the most important thing that you have is your reputation. It is the most important thing. I will live and die by that. You know, I always tell people it's like a bowl filled with water. And the minute you take food coloring and start to get a couple dots, it does not take many dots for that water to start getting real murky. Hmm. So keeping your reputation clean, doing good business, doing right business, you know, not cutting corners, not going for that extra dollar. I think that that's kept our reputation really clean and really great and something that people know that they can trust and come back to. And it's something that I, I've i turned down money when it's not the right deal. Right. Because I'll tell people, I know you want to give me X, but I'm not the best person for this. And I think a lot of companies, again, that whole sort of like, grow, 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 crush it. The investors want more money, go. They take deals or take on clients knowing we're going to do a B minus job at this, but like we kind of need the revenue for the next quarter to make it look good. There goes your reputation. But there goes your reputation. So for me, it's sort of- Playing the long game here. Exactly. Playing the long game because I think that it takes also as a founder, you know, I have a lot of founders who are on their second, third, fourth business, which is fantastic. But if your first business- your reputation gets tarnished, how many people are coming out with you for that second business or third business? Not a lot. Yeah. Not a lot. So I would say reputation and relationships. It's like all the R's. All the R's. (laughs) R's are big. R's are big. R's are big. It plays a huge, huge part. And and definitely in terms of us, you know, that word of mouth and that reputation has gotten us tons of clients that I could never have even dreamed of. So I'm going to ask you about one because I know my 92-year-old mom is the single biggest New York Met fan ever to walk the face of this earth. I 
give up on them all the time, but she <laughs> she is as loyal as can be. And as we record, you know, they still have a shot to make the playoffs. Yeah. I, I'm not as optimistic as she is, but how had the Met relationship happen? That was Shark Tank. Really? Yeah. Cool. That was Shark Tank. Somebody on the Mets team was watching the show with their wife on a Friday. Player or somebody in? No, no someone, someone in, uh, like office. the chief yeah. marketing officer right. had, was watching it with his wife. And on Monday, sent an email and said, I know you work in music, but would you ever consider sports? <laughs> Easiest email <laughs> I've ever sent back in my life. I was like, of course. Sure. E- the answer is yes. Yes. So that was a fantastic start mm-hmm. to that. And yeah, that was thanks to Shark Tank. What exactly Tank. did you do for the Mets? So we run all of their kids club programming. Oh, well, that's huge. Which is really exciting. Yeah. We've done it now for four years. Yeah. We're love watching the, the kids year. run the bases. It's really, I would have loved to have done that when I was their, their age. And it's really important. You know, the MLB is having a, I don't want to say an identity crisis, but their youth is is no. getting lost I to know. video games, to iPads, right. to World of Warcraft. and All major sports you know, are they, struggling with they that. They really need to work on you know, their youth connection and, and what are you doing for that next generation? Because I think everyone, rightfully so, is loving this baby boomer generation, largest you know, adult population with disposable income that we've ever seen. Right. As you know, this mm-hmm. next will be the largest next generation wealth inheritance right, exactly. that we that we've ever seen. Right. And so everyone's really enjoying mm-hmm. this this period, which is really important. But my whole thing is again to look at long term. Yeah, these next five years are going to be great. Yeah, those bo- baby boomers are going to be spending and experiences and it's going to be amazing. But what happens in 15 years? Right. What happens if you don't get that five year old into the Mets now? What's going to happen when he's 20? He's not going to want to buy the it season all, tickets. Sports, sports all starts as a kid. I mean, every starts single sport that I've been a fan of, it's because my my mom and my dad both got no, me. No, the Mets, into, the Mets know, gave us the stat, and I'm not sure where they got it, but all major fandoms normally happen before the age of eight. Yeah, because they, there's this nostalgia of my grandpa rooted for this team. There's or nothing my like mom, walking or... out and seeing the grass. I mean, at Chase Stadium at City Field now. I think I was seven years old the first time and getting autographs, and mm-hmm. it's something you never forget. So, speaking of fandom, I think I can actually relate. As when you were on Shark Tank, you talked about a fan seeing an artist 37 times. So you're talking to someone who's seen Bruce Springsteen and the E Street (laughs) Band over 250 times. And as I've told those that are not in my Bruce world, so to speak, I'm not a super fan. I'm just passionate about the music and the stories. I grew up in New Jersey. I can relate to many of his lyrics. If you haven't seen the wonderful new film, Blinded by the Light, it's based on a book by a real super fan in the UK, kind of saved this kid's life. We're not stalkers. We're not obsessed. (laughs) It's all about the joy and the special moments moments that we share together. Okay, maybe I'm a super fan. <laughs> so my question is then, as a super fan company, what can you provide for tramps like us? <laughs> for us, it's really constantly sort of digging in and thinking about what does this fan want to see and what does this fan want to experience? And that's different. You know, a fan of Paul McCartney is going to want a very different experience than a fan of Katy Perry, than a fan of Kids Bop. But it's really kind of getting into that psychographic and saying, what is going to be really cool? What is someone going to get and say, wow, this is amazing. This is something I want to keep. I want to take home. I want to interact with. Paul McCartney is an example. What did you do there? Yeah. So Paul, on his last tour, we decided to do these 
really amazing, beautiful VIP packages. And if you had upgraded to these VIP seats, Mm -hmm. we did these really cool lithographs that were individually numbered, that were customized for that city, that came with a commemorative ticket that can be framed together. Because again, you know, when I think about my mom, who's a huge Paul McCartney fan, yeah, a framed ticket and poster is absolutely going up in the house. A t-shirt with Paul's face on it, that right. to me feels a little more and Taylor especially Swift. you have to look at you have to look at the audience exactly. and the baby boomers like like myself the experience is everything yeah so for me going to a Springsteen concert obviously the music and everything else but it's all part of the experience exactly. and, and and that's so critical so I mentioned in the beginning of the show superheroes your company has worked with Comic Con from day one which is really cool now those fans. Star Wars, Star Trek, Avengers, X-Men, Game of Thrones. I mean, these are some serious super fans. What's that experience been like for you? It's been, you know, we've been working with the Ace Universe team for a number of years now. And what constantly surprises and amazes me is their innovation, their eye for what's going to be next. You know, they have an event coming up that has to be the largest gathering of superheroes I've ever seen. Everybody from Brie Larson, who plays Mm -hmm. Captain Marvel, to Kit Harington, who's Jon Snow on Game of Thrones. And if you really think about it, with a lot of these fan bases, you know, you can't, unlike whether it's a Paul McCartney or Bruce Mm -hmm. Springsteen, where you can see them maybe next time they tour or next time they're in town. You don't see these folks. You don't get to see Brie Larson. You know, you, you see her in the movies and that's really cool. Right. But that chance to really see those superheroes in real life or those stars of Game of Thrones or whatever it is, they've tapped into something really magical. And I think just how you're saying with the stories and the lyrics and the music, I think people feel that way about the stories on Game of Thrones and George R. R. Martin's writing and Mm -hmm. falling in love with those characters and really feeling like I want to I never thought I I would fall for that show. And then I started watching it with my son, probably 16 at the time. He's 26. And I just was, you know, so caught up. Yeah. I didn't like the the last season. Yeah. If we were going to, we could do a whole show on the last (laughs) season. I didn't like it either. No. No, no. Did not. I liked the second to last episode. I did not like the ending, but I don't want to give any spoilers (laughs) away, but I didn't like the way it ended. But anyway, it must be very cool being at these events, you go to all the Comic Cons and, yeah. and so you're doing the experiences. We're for doing the, folks the VIP that are there. experiences right. and it's been loads of fun and really exciting to see the fans, quite frankly. So how do, how do some of the superheroes, so to speak, whether it's a Kit Harrington or, or Thor or Brie Larson, right? How, how how do they respond? I mean, you know, at some point are they just blown away? They're so happy and it's interesting because yeah. for a lot of them, this is their first time doing a Comic-Con event because I think people don't realize that these actors, you know, when they show up to a TV set or a movie set, they do their acting and then they go home this for never a couple existed months. When you know. I was growing up. Yeah, you, you, you didn't you, you never got to hang out with people. If you were a music artist, love yeah. of course, you played Madison Square <laughs> right. Garden or you played the Apollo or whatever. So a lot of these guys have not been in situations where there's thousands of fans who are applauding them and Mm. cheering them. You know, they're not in the movie theaters. Mm. So 
they've been really sort of over the moon and wanting to come back, quite That's frankly. Great. That's great. Loving because it. they should be gracious, just like athletes. It's, you know, everyone has a bad day, and I understand that. People didn't get an autograph for, for whatever reason, because I've seen people abuse that in the, in the Bruce Springsteen world over and over. But ultimately, you know, people remember, they, they remember your character, but if you diss them, they're going to yeah, remember that too. Of so, course. So it's important that how good they are. So I kind of feel like we need to do a lightning round here, because you are one busy lady. I'm ready. I mean, there, there's just a <laughs> lot of different things to talk about, and I wanted to cover it in the last few minutes of the show. So what are you most proud of doing in your young career? I am most proud of employing a team of amazing females who are so awesome and so supportive of each other and our clients. Is that it's on purpose? Amazing. All women? No, oh. but it's pretty great. <laughs> HR would get in trouble if I yeah. said it was on purpose. Yeah. So no, it's no, not just, on just, purpose. Just sort of the way it happened. That's sort of. Right. And what would you have done differently when starting your business? Oh, a million. We don't have enough time. That's yeah. a whole other episode of the <laughs> <Yeah>. show. But <laughs> I actually, people, I just put together a LinkedIn course. I know we're going to get to which that. has been so exciting because I feel like a lot of the things that I wish I would have done differently or the mistakes I made. I plug them in there. Let's talk about that because I was going to get there in a little bit. You just created videos with LinkedIn Learning. And basically what Kim's doing is giving step-by-steps to help people become a business owner from marketing, financing, side hustles. Looks like you had a lot of fun making those videos. I I finished watching them yesterday and really, really enjoyed them. So what would be your best advice for someone who's thinking about starting a business at the end of doing that experience? Oh my gosh. I would say get as much help as humanly possible. I think one of my biggest mistakes was not asking for help because you're embarrassed or you think you're going to do it all yourself or you're Superman or, or or whatever, but you're not. Not only should you absolutely be asking for help, the people around you really want to help you. You know, your friends, your family, they want to see you succeed. They don't want to see you homeless. You know, they want to see you do well. They want to see you thrive. And so you well, have to... Well, there's always to, that kid from high school that would like yeah, to see you homeless, but we won't homeless. go there. Yeah. <laughs> but everybody else, you know, and so giving them opportunities, hey, I need help making a website. Hey, does anyone know how to use Stripe? Hey, does anyone know how to use PayPal? You know, whether it's putting it out on social media or telling your mom or whoever it is, I'm in the camp of ask for as much help as humanly possible from as many people and resources, whether it's LinkedIn or podcasts like this. There are so many good resources for getting that advice and help. And and if you please get a chance, take, and we will link to what Kim has done on LinkedIn. It actually started a few years ago with a cup of coffee. You were, you know, doing these Instagrams with coffee. Yeah, what, yeah. What, where did that come from? It was my idea of, I was getting asked to have a lot of coffees with various students or clients who wanted to, you know, I always use in air quotes, like pick my brain. Mm-hmm. It's always what it says. Like, can right. we get coffee? I want to pick your brain about this thing that I'm doing. And I just, I didn't have enough time. I didn't have time to go on all these coffees. So I thought, what if I just start putting sort of the most frequently asked questions that that are in these pick your brain sessions? What if I just started putting them online? And, and that way, not only am I helping people that are in my network, but as people share in other networks yeah, that help- might have the same question. Exactly. You're helping a lot of people. And, and that's one of the beautiful parts of LinkedIn that I've noticed over the years. I've been involved with LinkedIn. I've done things for LinkedIn myself, and it is incredible. This one came a little out of left field. You were a Miss USA judge. Um, <laughs> I was. Now, how did that happen, first of all? And then yeah. I want to hear about that experience. I uh, know an amazing guy named Jonathan Seaton at 
IMG, and he has been working on the Miss Universe, which owns Miss USA and Miss Teen USA for a number of years. And he called me one day and said, we're really looking to make this season about female empowerment. We're really looking to, you know, elevate the brand so that it's not so... I don't want to say like models and beauty, but it's really about career and about goal setting. And so all of the Miss USA judges this year were CMOs or CEOs or founders. And it was an amazing experience. And I got to be with Nicole Feld. Exactly. You know. Nicole Feld's a family friend of ours. I've, you know, her grandparents and my parents were best friends for for many, many years. And and Nicole is doing a tremendous job with Ringling amazing. Brothers and, and, and everything that goes along with that. How'd you feel about judging people? As you a know, woman. Yeah, it was really interesting because I've had conversations with them about this and I don't actually know how you'd do it. But, you know, before you see what's on television, we actually spend time with the girls. So we actually do one-on-one interviews with all all 50 girls and you're hearing about what they do for work and you're hearing about where their passions are and where their volunteer work is and what their five-year goals are. And so it's hard because every one, that'd be terrible content. Right, <laughs> no one right. wants to see hours and hours of that, right. but but we got to do it well, that's important. in the in the days previous. So mm-hmm. you're only seeing on TV such a small snippet, but it was a really, it was hard. You know, the, some of these women and, and Chesley who won is an amazing professional woman who was working at a law firm and on her off time was getting people who were falsely incarcerated out of prison. Hmm. I mean, I'm I'm not doing that on a and Sunday. Just, she wasn't doing that for the pageant. Yeah, you know? it was amazing. Like, yeah. You know, so, you know, these women have, and they were doctors and lawyers and I mean, amazing oh, careers. come a long way with these pageants then. I to know. was totally ignorant, by the way, yeah. before I went in as a judge. I thought all these people were, I don't know, like You expect to just college, College or like didn't else. didn't have jobs, right? Yeah, or like didn't have brains. Sure. And I was so blown away by oh, that's the great caliber. To hear that, that, yeah. that world has changed because that, that needed amazing. to change. So who who has had the most influence on your career and why? Probably going back to what you said, my my parents, because I do think some of those, whether it's fiscal responsibility or just responsibility in general, you know, you say you're going to be there more on time. Are you there? You know, I think some of those early lessons are super important, and I think they play a huge part in my everyday life now. Absolutely. Well, if we were playing for a million dollars, you would have just won. Because I lo- <laughs> saying your parents as a parent is, is about the greatest answer that, that anyone could give. How about in the marketing world? Who do you admire? You know, it's, it's a busy, it's a busy space. It's a busy space. And I feel like I have different sort of mentors and role models and people that I aspire to be on different levels, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, if you ask someone, you know, who's a great inspiration, you've, I always joke that people are going to be like, Oprah, you know, like these right, big right. aspirational, you know, yes, Oprah is amazing. But I also look at you know, smaller, not necessarily smaller, but like what are maybe females doing in the space that are also really interesting, whether it's somebody who's in a CMO role or like a Nicole Feld who's out there running. I mean, Feld Entertainment, it's everything from monster trucks to Disney on ice. I mean, these are huge properties. the circus. (laughs) So I always say that for every Oprah, I have a Nicole. So it's, it's kind of that dual, the big and maybe the more medium size inspirations. It must be complicated to, to know where to look for a mentor, where to look for advice. 
advice out there mm-hmm. because, like you said, it's a very busy, busy spot. I also noticed that on you did a video for Forbes that you try really hard to keep a daily routine. Yeah. At least when you made the video. Maybe yes. that's changed. No, I do. But you talk about exercise, meditation, having meetings at meals, which I think is a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Why do you do that? I try to do that to keep myself somewhat sane. I think that the world is really busy these freaking iPhones just make it worse right. <laughs> because you're constantly getting dinged and right. dunged Watches, and beeped and yeah, buzzed and, you know, it's everywhere. And so I do think having some sort of constant, some sort of grounding, if you will, you know, I got up this morning at 630 and went to the gym, you know, that's sort of my time. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course, there are days that I don't meditate. And yes, there, of course, there are days that I don't sit down and write my goals. Right. Yes. But you know, even if it's just an hour for myself, whether that's at the gym or whether that's meditating, to me, that's a commitment to yourself, to your body, to your mental health. And I tell people all the time, people say, I want to live till I'm 100. And I say, well, just like there are taxes in the world, (laughs) there's taxes to your goals. And are you willing to make the sacrifice? And maybe that means getting up at five in the morning to go to the gym to stay healthy. Or maybe that means taking those vitamins that taste disgusting or, you know, whatever it is that it's really, it's a tax you have to think about and that well, Gretchen Rubin, Gretchen Rubin, in one of her first books on happiness, talked about something so simple. And I know this is really silly, but after I read that book, I started making my bed. There you go. No matter what, even, even in fact, my wife was visiting her mother in Michigan last week. Yeah. Made the bed every single day. I love it. Uh, it was just part of my routine, you know, including exercise and occasionally meditation. I, I'm not never getting good at it, but I keep trying. Never mind. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I, keep, but I think it's really important. Were you always this disciplined, by the way, or is this kind of I think it's sports a, thing sports, really helped? Yeah. Honestly, I think it's that sports of making it to practice, doing the push-ups, mm-hmm. doing the laps. I think that it, it really taught a lot of self discipline at a young age. I mean, I started playing in middle school. So what's that, 12? Yeah. You know, or 11 maybe. That's that's a young age, but it was important to start learning it. And whether it's making the bed, whatever it is for you, right. you know, getting that sort of grounding and how am I going to start? Maybe it's a cup of coffee, like whatever it is, like your time. Right getting that routine in place and sticking to it. And another thing that you do, which is really important, and, and I'm, I'm very involved in the nonprofit world in a lot of different ways, and nothing feels better than the work that I do there. And I wanted to give you a, a, just a couple minutes to talk about the great work you're doing for the Andrus Family Fund, which advances social justice and improves outcomes for vulnerable youths. So tell us a little bit more about that and how people can help. Yeah, we work in two great spaces. We work with the foster care space, foster care and independence, and also juvenile justice, so incarceration. And I've been involved now for almost eight years. It's an amazing body of of people that are trying to move the work forward. I think that, you know, a lot of times something that I'm always seeing is people, when I ask people, why aren't you involved? I usually get two answers. The first one being, oh, I don't have any money. You know, I don't have any extra money, so I can't donate to my church, to my synagogue, to the Boys and Girls Club, the, you know, there's a million pet shelter, whatever. Oh, I don't have any money. And the second one being, well, I just don't have any time. And the the second one is sort of my biggest one that I'm like, you have time and time is also money. So you actually have both of the things that that you need. 
And it's really creating that space and saying, I might not be able to write a check for $50,000. I might not be able to do that to my favorite charity, but I might have 50 minutes of time to volunteer to help them think about what their financial solutions could be moving into the next year. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think people forget that the expertise, whether you're coming from marketing or finance or accounting or, you know, whatever it is, that's useful. And a lot of these, whether it's nonprofits or, or volunteer organizations, they need that. Yes, they, I mean, they yes, would they love do. to have somebody come in and yeah. say, this is how you could save on your taxes, or this is how, did you know right. that you could get into this program? And so I think sometimes that people think, well, you know, I'm not rich enough, or I don't have this sort of thing. And and for me, it's really important to say, you do, you have it. You, you have your knowledge, you have your expertise, you have your time. These are all things that you can give back. And for me, really looking at the juvenile justice space, it's a huge mammoth problem, and I feel like we're slowly chipping away at it. I'm sure, as most groups, it never seems to go as fast as you want it to go. That seems to always be the case. But I just think it's something that, for me, I do a lot of work through that. I do a lot of work with Junior Achievement, which is a national organization sure. that's focused on business and entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Their local New York chapter is right. amazing, yeah. although they have the chapters. The guy who runs it's a terrific guy. I yeah, interviewed him on amazing. show a few years back. And so, Joe. Joe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So I do a lot of work with them and it's just something that people can can get involved with. So what's next for you? Netflix special, Shakespeare in the Park? I mean, I, I know you want to meet Harrison yeah, Ford. Yeah, I um, do. There aren't any more Star Wars. What about, well, first of all, more Indiana Jones or Star Wars with your Harrison Ford complex? Oh, Indiana Jones. Yeah. So good. Yeah. He well, so my good. son's name is Harrison. So ah. clearly... I'm a fan as well. So I know you're going to make that happen. And you really are leading an exciting, productive, and most importantly, a very purposeful life. And we here at Financially Speaking wish you continued success Thank as Bruce you. sings further on down the road. So that's our show this week. I will link to all of Kim's social media and, of course, the Superfan Company, which I'm sure you will be noticing at the next great event you're going to, maybe even Bruce Springsteen's tour next year. <laughs> and remember, when saving for your future for any of these great events that you want, most importantly, pay yourself first. Have a great week. 